This episode is brought to you by NYX, a sustainable and natural mouthwash that aims to eliminate single-use plastic waste while using the highest quality natural ingredients to create a mouthwash that is both gentle on you and gentle on our planet. We are big fans of NYX, so much so that I recently brought it with me on my trip to France. NYX is gentle and effective, utilizing real ingredients with health benefits like peppermint oil and aloe vera. They have nixed the harsh chemicals, alcohol, synthetic additives, and preservatives that pollute your body and our waterways. Instead, leaving us with a natural mouthwash that really works is good for you and good for the planet. Each year, over 500 million plastic mouthwash bottles end up in landfills. That's enough to wrap around the earth three times. This is why NYX is dedicated to nixing single-use plastic through eco-friendly mouthwash crystals. The mouthwash crystals are lightweight and reduce carbon emissions from shipping. So incredible. By choosing NYX, you're keeping yourself and mother nature healthy and clean. They also donate 10% of profits to nonprofits that tackle environmental issues and help underprivileged children receive adequate dental care in the U S and abroad. There is so much to love about NYX as a company and a product. Fresh breath is just the top of it. And we know you're going to love it as much as we do. If you want to try NYX, you can save 25% off your first order. When you visit nixmouthwash.com. that's N I X mouthwash.com and use code CW podcast one word at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness, and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Let's talk about CBD. The CBD market feels really saturated these days, doesn't it? It seems like you can get it at any coffee shop or grocery store, and many CBD brands actually source their hemp from industrial hemp farms in China. The brand that we love, and more importantly, the brand that we trust is Ned. Ned produces some of the highest quality CBD available in the world, and Erica and I only partner with brands that we ourselves use. Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their website. Ned is also USDA certified organic with all products extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. How is that for knowing exactly where your CBD comes from? We have both been longtime users of Ned. I rely on the full spectrum hemp oil to help with anxiety and the hormone balance blend has been a game changer as I transitioned off of birth control. And today we want to talk about Ned's new product, which has been in development for over a year, the de-stress blend. I've gone through two bottles since it's come out and I could not be more obsessed with the benefits and the effects. This one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest 
Harvest Full Spectrum Hemp and check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. Ashwagandha is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Also, Ned's quality speaks for itself. The products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on this podcast. If you'd like to give Ned a try, Courageous Wellness listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code CWPODCAST. Visit helloned.com slash CWPODCAST to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com forward slash CWPODCAST to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. You can also find a link in our show notes. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a great episode for you today with Tambra Stevenson, and can't wait for you to hear this conversation. It was really a pleasure to speak with her. And we're going to do a formal intro in just a minute, but as per usual, we are going to do a quick update um, about our week or what we are enjoying. Erica, is there anything you are enjoying at the moment? Yes. Pumpkin. All pumpkin. It's time. It's time. It's okay. It's post Labor Day now. It's September 7th. And, um, you know, it's back to school. It's we're also in California here. I have to say, because anybody who gives me any, I start pumpkining it up in like August, I will say, but it's like a hundred degrees in September in California. It's our hottest month. So we got to create the fall vibes. So, um, I have lit my pumpkin candle and Mm. I, I'm partaking in pumpkin cream cold brews and I am very happy living my basic pumpkin life over here. That's my update. Yeah. I'm not a hater. I I love it all too. I do try to hold out till it's a little cooler because it's, it gets brutally hot here in September and it just feels weird, but I I'm, I'm right there behind you. I am right there behind you. So, and we do have to create season cause we don't get the, we don't get the seasonal cycles like they do in the Northeast. Um, no out here in Southern California. Um, one of the things I am enjoying is uh, our milk and honey retreat brush. So mm-hmm. if anybody doesn't know what that is, although we do talk about milk and honey quite a bit, um, we have this partnership with milk and honey spas. They're in uh, Texas in the Austin area. There's one in Chicago. There's two in LA now in Brentwood and Culver city. And we have the courageous wellness retreat, which is a part of their um, service offerings. And it's a 60 minute massage and you get a complimentary full body dry brushing and um, the dry brushing service. You get this really awesome dry brush that you get to take home with you. And so I've been using mine a lot at home and it's really great for exfoliating and lymphatic drainage. Um, but especially if you get dry skin, like I, I'm very, I'm prone to dry skin. I've been using it before almost every shower. It takes two minutes and it feels really great. So I highly recommend doing that. You can also get a dry brush, um, you don't have they, to do- milk and honey sells their dry yeah. brush that you yeah. get with the retreat on. So you could just buy the dry brush straight through their online boutique as well. I love mine too. Um, yeah, it feels really good. It's like a, it's like a full body. I want to say tickle, That's gonna sound <laughs> weird. but in like a good way, it's yeah. it just, it feels really nice. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so I just a reminder, if anybody uh, wants to, they can use, we have a code, a discount code for milk and honey, both our online store. Um, it's CW podcast, 20% off, or you can use it at their physical spa locations around the country. Um, again, in Texas, there are quite a few in the Austin area, Chicago and LA. So yeah. um, I guess if you're ready, let's let's just get to the episode. 
Today on the podcast, we sit down with Tambra Ray Stevenson. Tambra is the founder and CEO of Wanda, Women Advancing Nutrition, Dietetics, and Agriculture, building a pipeline of a million women and girls to lead from farm to health through education, advocacy, and innovation. A true champion for nutrition and health equity, she has been recognized through many awards and accolades these past few years. Appointed to the D.C. Food Policy Council, Tambra supported increased funding and access to healthy food, along with nutrition and dietetic services for all to address the food apartheid. She was appointed by USDA Secretary Vilsack to the National Agricultural Research Extension Education and Economics Advisory Board. She also co-chairs the Nutrition Security Working Group with John Hancock Insurance for the Tufts Food and Nutrition Innovation Council. She also serves as the first North American representative for the African Nutrition Society. Amber began her public service career at the Secretary's Office of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the U.S. Department of Commerce, D.C. Mayor's Office on Women's Policy and Victim Services, and UDC's Center for Nutrition, Diet, and Health. She earned a master's in public health and communications at Tufts University School of Medicine and a BS in human nutrition and Spanish at Oklahoma State University. She is pursuing a PhD at the American University School of Communication. And in this episode, we have a really powerful conversation on Tambra's work and how to activate the food Shiro in all of us. We also really break down language around food freedom and appreciate Tambra for having this conversation with us today. It's such a good one. Like I said, it's, I think, one of my favorites of the whole year. So let us know what you think by getting in touch at Courageous Wellness on Instagram. Hi, everyone. Before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to let everyone know that I was able to share my own journey with Buddhism and wellness and talk a little bit about Courageous Wellness on the Buddhability podcast, which is a podcast that is presented by the SGI USA, which is the Buddhist organization that Ali and I practice with and how we met. So if you want to listen to my episode of the Buddhability podcast and learn a bit more about my journey, I definitely go into deep detail, which I have not done on this podcast yet. So give it a listen. You can find that in our show notes. And I'm so grateful to Jihi and the Bootability community for letting me share my own story too. So you can find that again in the show notes. And if you want to check out Bootability or learn more about our Buddhist organization, you can visit bootability.org. Um, let us know what you think and enjoy the episode. And now on to Tambra. This episode is sponsored by Sprout Living, organic plant-based protein powders. If you listen to this podcast, then you know that we absolutely love functional mushrooms for their wide variety of whole body benefits, including immune support, anxiety reduction, mental clarity, and much more. You also probably know that I am devoted to my daily cup of coffee. Right now, my current favorite Sprout Living product is the Epic Protein Complete Coffee. It's bold and creamy with a touch of sweetness from coconut milk and contains a blend of five adaptogenic mushrooms, including reishi, chaga, mayatake, lion's mane, and turkey tail. So aside from a whopping 20 grams of plant protein, you're also getting awesome immune support and nervous system regulation. I blend it up in the morning with a little almond milk, and it's the perfect way to start my day. I've also been using the Epic Protein Mindful Matcha to make a superfood morning latte that also contains some pretty powerful fungi. In fact, the entire Sprout Living Epic Protein Premium line also incorporates functional mushrooms. The matcha blend I've been using contains ashwagandha and lion's mane. And in addition, it also contains brain boosting nootropics. I add some MCT oil for healthy fats and feel fueled all morning long. What makes Sprout Living different from most plant-based protein powders is that they avoid unnecessary additives that many others on the market use. That means they don't use any gums, thickeners, or natural flavoring, which isn't really natural at all. Instead, they only use real whole food ingredients, which is cool because it makes the blends multifunctional. So if you want to try Sprout Living, you can save 20% off your order by using the code CWPODCAST. 
Visit www.sproutliving.com and use code CWPODCAST, one word, to save 20%. They also offer free shipping and a 100% money-back guarantee. Give them a try and let us know if you love it as much as we do. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. So welcome, Tambra. We are very excited to have this conversation with you. I know we were just chatting a bunch um, before we hit record. Um, So very excited to continue talking and have this conversation. So to get us started, can you share with us a little bit about your personal journey in wellness and your personal journey to the work that you do now? Most definitely. First, thank y'all for having me. I am hailing from the heartland of uh, Oklahoma, where I really was that curious kid who wanted to understand like why my family members were dying from things that I didn't know at the time were preventable, but diabetes, heart disease, um, hypertension, stroke, um, cancer, and that curiosity led me into the kitchen. And not even then did I really know about nutrition, but I knew about medicine because who hasn't had the pediatric checkup? Um, And so for me, um, self-care began with like just journaling, um, as a kid in my room and sharing my thoughts, you know, when I couldn't have, um, that opportunity to connect and share or have mentorship, you know, I think every kid needs a big brother, big sister. Um, but the other part was getting in track running, like being able to, you know, now we know the connection between running and mental health, But that whole idea when you're one of those curious, imaginative, you know, intelligent kind of kids, you can get kind of heady. And that is uh, an opportunity to channel that energy and balance the flow of energy in your body. And so running helped me to do that. Um, Not realizing I was trying to run away from a lot of things. Um, One could say I could be running towards, you know, the promised land, my dreams, but also running away from things that, you know, you don't always know how to like tackle as a kid. And so for me, that led the foundation of one, trying to connect to who am I, what am I uh, to be in this world? What is my purpose? Asking those sorts of questions and believing deep down, I knew that was healing, but in order to heal others, you have to start with healing oneself. And that was me. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Some of the things that whether we use, um, you know, like you said, running away from something or running towards something the in a way that running serves a purpose either way. And, um, I'm curious, I know that's like a big leap from, you know, being the kid in Oklahoma, but mm-hmm. how, how, as you continue to get older, um, and pursued your education, how was it that you chose like to move into the field of nutrition and public health? Um, and, and what was it in you that, that made you decide this is something you wanted to pursue, um, on a professional level? Right off the bat, I'll say survival mode is where most people are. And I definitely was in that mode mixed with pragmatism, meaning that I was really good with art, but I would see those starving artist commercials that was really popular back in the day. And I was like, I don't want to be a starving artist. And then I saw all these opportunities, STEM programs, as we see today, like pushing you to go in this particular direction because I was smart enough to tackle science and math. I was like, Mm -hmm. it's like being in the Robert Frost poem, you know, and I chose one path that felt paid and paved. So I um, did that. And that's what kind of like led me into this curiosity and also internships. Early on, I was in every summer I would spend at a, at a medical school, at a university, even as early in high school, um, OU medical, civil engineering, environmental science programs, um, botany programs, and all these different um, opportunities to explore the sciences and career options really led me into this discovery of like, um, I like this, I don't like that. And it was really ultimately the, how can I say, two two internships really defined me going into nutrition and public health. One was at Baylor Med. Um, Rice, it was a a pre-med program, and I worked with a uh, neonatologist who also did pediatric clinical nutrition research, um, dealing with uh, 
isotope dual had a dual isotope tracer be able to determine you know which isotope in tropicana minute mate was better and so i was like oh nutrition can be a science it's not just baby cracker home ec kind of stuff that you know it unfortunately it's had been you know themed as but the other part was an internship at harvard public health um and the nutrition, but also maternal health, and realizing again this idea that our community um, is a laboratory, and how does our environment shape and impact the way in which we have access to food and nutrition, and our how does it impact our mental health, and how we are, are able to navigate? And so that was very eye-opening of like, oh, it's not just about being in a science lab; that the world is the lab of discovery. And for that, those two really kind of like cemented in my world that community health was the path for me um, and why I also end up going to, you know, Tufts to study um, community health and health communication. And, and you know, here we are now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ali, I don't, you unmuted too. So yeah, <laughs> I was like, go ahead. Yeah. Thank you. No, I was just thinking about, um, it's interesting because even in our, the space that we've been in the last few years, I think oftentimes people who embark on individual health journeys, whatever they might be. Um, in my case, it was, you know, a, an experience with cancer early on, but it, it ultimately, if you go down that road, at least what Erica and I have found, and maybe it's because we've been able to grow this community through the podcast, but you start to realize that it's not just individual, um, like health doesn't exist in, in a vacuum. And as you were saying, sharing about like, what are the determinants within the community? And so quickly, so quickly we learned and had our eyes begin to open that it's not just like these individual choices that only some people actually have, first of all, but that it, there's so many more factors. And it's like, if our communities are suffering, can we really experience health on an individual level? And that's a question that we ask a lot and explore. And that's part of the reason that your work is very, very interesting and feels, um, you know, value creating <laughs> to get a little Buddhist. That's what we say, but, um, for us. And so we wanted to understand it more and explore it more as well. So can you share a little bit about WANDA, which is, um, women advancing nutrition, dietetics, and agriculture. Um, and can you share with us kind of your journey into founding that, uh, your, and your why for that as well? Yeah. And, you know, with that, let's just start with my own community here in Washington, DC, um, the population uh, continues to change. And as it's been noted, we're one of the fastest growing gentrified cities in this country, um, the nation's capital. And I live in a community of Anacostia, which would be the equivalent to the Bronx in New York. And in Anacostia, we are in Ward 8, a population roughly each ward, they try to um, redistrict to have about 70,000. But we have one full-size grocery store, meaning it has a pharmacy, even though we have like small little um, stores, corner stores, we don't call them bodegas here. But when you have access in terms of access to fruits and vegetables, it's either that one store, um, which has improved quality um, of produce over time with, you know, more activism happening in the community by nonprofits and community leaders. Um, but also we have uh, an income gap, a life expectancy gap correlating with that and meaning that Robert Johnson and partnered with another entity um, that did mapping. And so it showed that in our area, people live around the age of 53, their income is around 35,000 a year compared to Cabin John, which is right outside of Northwest DC near Maryland um, in Montgomery County. Um, life expectancy around 95 years old, income um, average around 140,000 um, a year. Um, and when you look at stores spread out across the district, we have uh, a, a wide disparity. War 7 and 8 is uh, basically uh, divided because of the Anacostia River. So it's a concentration of African-Americans, mostly 
um, who would be um, identified either low income or have, we have a high poverty rate, we have high domestic violence rate. Um, and one could say, you know, there's a lot of deficits, you know, that's being met painted here, but there's also a lot of assets um, here as well. Um, but it's important to understand the environment in which we're operating on top of how communication. So I'm a PhD student at American University um, studying media technology and democracy. And so I wanted to also look at this idea of in the midst of this pandemic, how did the pandemic exacerbate um, ongoing inequalities, calling it creating a syndemic, which is multiple pandemics happen, happening at once beyond just COVID-19, chronic disease, the, the economy, um, but also information was locked down. And so if you think about, you know, even if you are materially poor, social capital is critical in being able to navigate. And so um, I wanted to paint the picture and in, in, in how and where Wanda for me became um, an opportunity to to reimagine a new world. So my I have, I'm a mom of two, Elliot and Ruby, and they go to school um, here. They they've grown up as DC residents, and so in our school in Anacostia, the, the elementary school did not have nutrition education or community gardens compared to other schools. And though I you know volunteered and advocated for food policy. Um, I was not seeing the policy flow and impact my own neighborhood. And so it made me wonder about, you know, starting with just the teacher, you know, does she know the role that she plays um, in impacting them beyond academics? Meaning junk food is an award given in many classrooms, including ours. And her as a black mom did not see the connection why that would be problematic. Most teachers would probably say they see themselves as behavioral management specialists. And it was unfortunate that Ruby's classroom of only four never had a cavity, now having a cavity. And, but you hear the, the blame and shame that be, that's put on parents that we have to be responsible for our children's, you know, health and wealth in this country, but it's just, but it takes a village. Like, where's the village? Like, I can't do this by myself. And so I, as, as a creative person, you know, going back to the whole starving artist piece, I thought about, well, how do I reimagine myself and try to channel that energy into a teacher like her to see ourselves as food heroes? Like, how can we reimagine not only ourselves, but the world, what happens if we unlock the food um, hero within all of us? And how does it change the trajectory of our future generations when we do so? And so that really began the foundation for me of like, how do we create uh, a world of food, a fierce female food freedom fighters on the front line who are willing to educate, advocate, and innovate the change they want to see in our communities to make them healthy and sustainable for our children to thrive and see them as the role models that they are and can be. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I love like, how do we access, right? Like this food hero in all of us is so powerful. And even the way you talk about food freedom, because I feel like food freedom, right. Is like this, um, it's a word, it's a phrase that's used a lot, right. To talk. Yes. <laughs> and of course, like food is so emotional, right? Like there's gosh food. I think food is like our frontier. Like I've, I, I, I've like thought this for so long where I was like, it's guns and food for me. It's like the big, the big push of like what we need to change in this country. Right. Personally, I've been like, it's, it's those two things for me. So, but food freedom gets used a lot, but the way you're talking about it, right. It's like, what a, I I'm hearing it even in a different way for the first time of like, what a privilege it is to talk about, oh, I want to have this food freedom to eat whatever I want, nourish my body and not right. Like have this tie to whatever. And here you're talking about food freedom is people literally don't have access and choice, right. To the food they eat or the education to know, um, what to choose as well. And interesting conversation of like, how do we become food heroes? I guess that's I'm like, how do I, I have so much going on in my mind, yeah. but, but with all of this, right. When we talk about like 
there is so much oppression in big food. There is such limited access. Um, and how do we become food heroes? Like what can we actually do to create this change that people can have true food freedom in the way that you're talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, right now uh, we have the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health um, slated uh, this year, and it is the second ever since 1969 under President Nixon when USA at Butts was also in office. And at the time, you know, there were only people who did not look like us had the ability to sit at the table to discuss food freedom for this country and define food and nutrition policy over the last 50 years that have focused on calories and macronutrients and big ag and not necessarily micronutrients and especially crops and making it more accessible to get our fruits and vegetables and whole grains. And, you know, I thought about, you know, food freedom and the context, especially being um, in this media tech democracy program in the context of food democracy. And because ultimately democracy is about everyone having the ability to participate in the formation and the creation um, of, of the civil society that governs us. And as someone who has you know, worked in federal and local government from women's policy to health policy and now serving on our DC Food Policy Council, you know, I think about, you know, who is at the table that literally is shaping policy that is a determinant of our health, that is creating or enabling or disabling the structural environments in which we're navigating, almost like a game. If everyone knows game studies, <laughs> the final outcome has already been predicted. It's up to you to go through the maze um, to feel as if you have choice. And so in many ways with food democracy and, and what it means to be a food hero, food hero in my opinion, is this ability to one, to first you have the mindset believe that you are one and then how do you begin activating others around you to build community to organize and strategize and that's what you should do with the energy versus agonizing um and the thing how do you choose to navigate um and and use that energy um it can be in the formation of uh, petitions um identifying that policy uh, maker who can sponsor legislation to help start a food policy council if your city does not have one, like my city of Oklahoma City and Dallas, they do not have one for some crazy reason. And so that stifles democracy in terms of everyday food citizens to see themselves as having mechanisms to create the change that they want to see. And so when you have you know, an agenda, like what is on the agenda that you see, what are the grievances um, that you see in your community that you want to change? You know, for us back home, um, one out of four are, are, are hungry. Um, in Oklahoma, hunger is, 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 a, is a state of mind that really can create um, a, an unstable society. Um, and so you want, if you want peace, feed people is <laughs> really simple. And so for us, we thought about it. And one of the recommendations we put in our uh, report to the White House is that we should have a food bill of rights. You know, we should understand that part of any policy formation should be based on a core set of values that we all believe that hold true, very similar to the Bill of Rights, where to your point earlier, um, Erica, around guns, you know, we have this right to bear arms because it's a fundamental value that this country has and how has it shaped future policy around criminal justice. And so for us is to understand if food is an expression of our democratic right, our human right, then what does that begin looking like when we think about the food environments in which communities can thrive um, and not only survive. And that really begins to me the start of the foundation that we need before we build on um, any other policy. Is this like being in the kitchen? You know, what are the gear? When I would teach nutrition, uh, especially faith-based nutrition, I would ask, you know, uh, participants, write down your 10 kitchen commandments. These are the foundations that guide your kitchen. And therefore, if you say that shall not eat pork, okay, you know, you're not going to ever find pork in my kitchen. You're not going to have no bacon wrap lollipops up in here. So that is what I mean about this idea of a food bill of rights. What is the foundation that guides how we move through these uh, political streets? 
This episode is brought to you by Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste, a toothpaste like no other. There is nothing more important than fresh breath and dental wellness. We've even done episodes on it. And we are so happy to have Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste as a sponsor of the Courageous Wellness Podcast. Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste is a toothpaste created by a real dentist using nourishing and natural ingredients proven to remineralize tooth enamel to prevent decay. The founder, Dr. Jen, isn't just someone who got an idea and made a toothpaste. She's a highly trained and experienced dental professional. As a mom of three kids and a dentist, she knows how important it is to provide safe, natural, and healthy products for our long-term health and development. This is what started her on the quest to find a natural toothpaste that actually works. After not seeing an adequate toothpaste available, she took on the challenge to satisfy this gap. Bringing in her prior experience as an engineer and working alongside chemists, she created the ultimate natural toothpaste using clinically proven ingredients to strengthen teeth. We are huge fans of the Yummy Toothpaste with ingredients that are good for you and the environment. All products are also made from sustainable ingredients and biodegradable materials. If you want to try Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste, you can save 10% with code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout when you visit www.drjennatural.com. That's www.drjennatural.com. All information can also be found in our show notes. This episode is brought to you by BASE. Ever wanted to figure out why you are feeling sluggish or bloated or what's really up with your stress levels or why you never feel truly rested? With base at-home blood work kits, a simple finger prick or saliva sample makes it easy to find out the answers to common health concerns. Whether you know which tests you want to get started with or you need some guidance, BASE's proprietary assessment quiz makes it easy to begin your health journey empowered with an understanding of your own body. Members can measure, understand, and improve their health levels related to the five most common areas of health concerns, diet, stress, energy, sleep, and sex drive. The result of your hormone, vitamin, or nutrient tests are delivered to you through BASE's app and come with personalized recommendations, including lifestyle changes, supplement suggestions, and more. We both had the opportunity to try base and we love having the information at our fingertips and really recommend it as a resource. You know, we are huge proponents of advocating for your own health and base gives you a baseline information about yourself just to make it easier. Pricing starts at $59.95 per month or quarterly, or you can start with base complete, which are eight tests upfront for four fifty. We are happy to be able to offer our listeners 20% off with the code CW podcast to get started. Take the base quiz, which will give you a recommendation for a personalized testing plan. Visit get base.com slash CW podcast to receive 20% off with code CW podcast at checkout. You can also find the direct link to the quiz in our show notes. Wow. Thank you. You've given us definitely a lot to think about and our listeners too. I think it's important to understand the connection between policy and how it affects our plates. And, and it affects, as you're saying, the, the members, the citizens of this country all very differently based on where they live, what part of the community, whether there's, you know, systemic oppression happening or not, it looks very different for for different communities. Yeah, like and, a caste system. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think it's important to be aware of, um, you know, whether you're a member of the community or not, like it's important for everybody because it's like, it affects, it affects everything. As you were saying, like food is so fundamental to so many other aspects of life too. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you're talking about you know, in your, in your kid's classroom and talking to the teacher and understanding like how powerful an influence that can be even just like on the super, super micro level. And, um, yeah, Eric and I talk about a lot, like even in school lunches where it's wonderful that sometimes we can have programs. Like I know California does where it's like, sometimes that meal that's being given is the only meal a kid has access to that day. 
but, or the only like consistent one perhaps, but then it's like, how is ketchup being considered a vegetable, you know? And also like one thing that you touched on, which I'd love to actually get your input on a little bit too. Cause I know you do a lot, especially like, um, with black women and the African diaspora and like cultural food in, in that context too. But I would love to hear your opinion, especially on cultural food in general from a, um, like it's an important part. It's an important part of love expression culture. Um, and I think sometimes we see at least there's, I mean, hello, look at diet culture. There's demonizing of different foods out there. And, um, how can we, I guess one, sometimes one of the things that I, I think about, and I definitely don't have an answer to, but it's like, how can we hold, um, the value, the nourishment, the nutrients, uh, the education around cultural foods, um, to be like a value, maintain that, teach that throughout whatever community you might be a part of. Um, and also recognize that there is also this intense, like big food, big ag, like oppressive practices within the context of the food system. And not that those two things are like, you know, these are opposite things that we're talking about, but sometimes there's like an interconnectedness because some there's been generations also of food oppression from yeah. a, like from a corporate perspective. Most and definitely. so how do you like, or how would you speak to holding space for, um, like for, for not demonizing certain things and also creating healthful environments. So that specifically like, yes, this is like something that all Americans deal with, but as, but like, as you were sharing within your own community in Oklahoma, like you saw your family members die of preventable chronic illness, like diabetes, like, um, heart disease. And so it's like, how do, how can we marry those things? And can an appreciation for cultural food mm-hmm. also help solve, solve those problems? Yeah. I guess is one of my questions. It feels, it feels like complicated. Humans. We love to make things complicated. I like yes. to make things simple. Um, Great. <laughs> One thing I look forward to um, a book coming out, Eating Wild Black, about food shaming in America that Dr. Psyche Williams Forsen at University of Maryland College Park um, is is publishing um, this year. Um, You know, we'll hopefully speak on some of these pieces around um, food. Um, Food is identity, it's culture, it's power, it's medicine. And with that, I've, I've thought about, you know, just like in medicine, if you were to diagnose this issue, what's the problem in the food environment? Part of it is, uh, in, in my talks, I talk about food colonialism, food imperialism, what does that even mean to look like? Mm-hmm. It means taking and using color, um, colonial tactics for, of like extraction, exploitation, erasure um, to one's food um, culture uh, to the point to elevate another. Um, and so this is the intro of like capitalism and what it does um, when, when it comes to the big food industrial complex. And there's a wonderful Al Jazeera piece that highlights uh, this idea of food colonialism impacting India um, as a case study. Um, one in four diabetes in the world is in India. It also has um, a situation of pharmaceutical companies coming in to be this great savior when it comes to health, um, to, uh, to help alleviate the, the concerns around diabetes and other chronic diseases. But at the same time, you have the colonial descendants like um, the McDonald's of the world coming in, which was my first job, um, to help feed and be really an intro of a Western culture. And at the same time, when you think about Indian street food and just uh, the cuisine, it's like at some point you end up displacing or shifting values around what food matters more than the other. And it's a crazy dynamic to see because this is where one say, are you going to 
you know, put on a pedestal, you know, another cultural food over yours. And at, at the same time, how does that impact your local food economy and those who are micro entrepreneurs who are making a livelihood off their cultural foods? And so for me, my argument is that food is not simply just, you know, a means to make, um, to make, um, access to food for people to eat. It's also an expression of keeping, uh, of preserving a culture. And when we don't make this connection, we have things like a plethora of fast food environments thriving in communities where people are dying because they have a disconnect of, of realizing that you know, our cultural foods have value. And, and part of the food is medicine conversation, this becomes really important because you have health insurance companies getting into the food game, not really knowing what they're doing, um, but they want to, you know, make things like an Asian box, a Latin box, but, you know, where's the other boxes? And one has to wonder, you know, how is that not an expression of colonialism, of erasure, when you're in basically indirectly saying like Black food does not matter, it's going to kill you. And if we don't put research behind um, African indigenous crops like millet and phonio and um, so many others, I mean, you have okra, you have watermelon came, came out of Namibia, like you, you have all these foods that we now call American that have been a part of really the journey of a people to this country. And that came with food knowledge and heritage um, that have been really removed from our classrooms when we take nutrition, you know, unless your court, your, your program mandate you to take a food and culture class, you're not really going to explore other cultural foods. And so what does that set you up as a practitioner in the field? It sets you one getting non-compliant patients, um, you wondering, scratching your head, well, why are they not listening to what I have to say when like you've been impacted by a very system by design that never really wanted to value other people's culture, their bodies, uh, let alone their, 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 their heritage. So this is uh, a dynamic for Wanda that we felt was really an opportunity to unpack of understanding that the reason why we even have a Wanda Academy is one for women to have a safe space to be brave, to be able to one, build sisterhood and learn about the cultural values of their food and how it's connected to the, their moods, um, bringing on a dietitian and therapist to unpack all of this, but at the same time, connect back to the land, going to farms, going to women who are food retailers and know that you're not simply consumers, but you're producers and realizing that these are the kind of model programs that should um, influence and shape. And what we even shared in our recommendations um, with this White House conference is, you know, we need to modernize federal nutrition programs. I was an extension agent, you know, I am a product of a land grant institution. And when we think about FNET, which is the expanded food and nutrition education program that's been around for over 50 years, providing free nutrition education to low-income families, or you think about SNAP-Ed, which is an extension of the food stamp program to educate people on how to shop smart and um, make better food choices, you know, the curriculum in which they use um, has to be called into question when we think about the changing demographics and technology and the fact that people just can't go face-to-face, -face, you know, in nutrition classes all the time. The pandemic showed, like, you need to get online. You need to connect with where people are, our mobile phones. Um, and not only that, you know, have people who look like them provide the information. We would call them paraprofessionals, but you know, we need to democratize nutrition education in this country. We need to make it accessible for everyone, just like anyone can get a mobile phone. Everyone should be able to be educated around the very thing that they're putting in their body and how it impacts the land and understanding that we're part of a larger you know, ecosystem and that our, our people can only be as healthy as our planet. And when we look at cultural foods like those who that are able to thrive in semi-arid conditions like a phony or a millet, you know, these are climate smart agricultural crops um, that should be a part of our dinner table that we are neglecting because we have brought, introduced, you know, 
racism into our food system. And that's really what it boils down to. How do we ensure that we are not remixing racism in our dishes um, every time we've made a decision uh, to demonize one food or food shame another? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, just, yeah, my mind is like going a million miles a minute. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I just keep coming back to like, you said it earlier. And I think a lot of what you shared too, it's like our value system, right? Like it's all, um, yeah, it's, it's our, what is our value system as a country, as a people, even as an individual, right? Like, and I think I come back to language a lot and I think language, um, is so harmful. And, um, so many people don't realize how harmful it is, but, you know, even back to the way a lot of white women talk about food freedom and the way we're talking about food freedom now, right. Total disconnect. Educate me yes. food freedom from your perspective. Cause I made up my, I didn't even know it was a thing until I went on YouTube. No, no. well, yeah, go ahead. you know, I think in diet culture historically, right. So like, because diet culture has demonized so many different foods or people have been like, you know, stuck in these, like, you know, repetitive diets for years or generations. Um, food freedom is about like releasing diet culture. I think like in a nutshell, it's obviously like, it can mean more than that, but it has a lot of ties to just diet culture, right? Like, oh, I'm going to enjoy my McDonald's <laughs> and as a way of food freedom. That, that's still an extension <laughs> of patriarchy, you know, yes, they're trying to be all slim and trim, uh, to be beautiful so they can catch the husband and all that. So I, I, I see it's, where the food freedom comes. Well, into. it's, but again, it's like, it's all our value system, right. And it's yeah. all this, like, um, inherent, a lot of inherently racist language that I think a lot of people hopefully are awakening to now, if they weren't awake to before that it is racist language or have, you know, historically racist, um, connotations. And I just, it's, it's so, it's just such important work and it's so important for us to like understand and educate ourselves and educate our communities about these topics. And again, because like, what is our value system? I think, again, you mentioned it earlier, but we have a right to bear arms in this country, right? Like that is a value, but we don't have a food bill of rights, right? Like we don't have, um, elsewhere. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a female founded and funded brand that began as a luxury day spa in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas and Los Angeles, California, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare products born from the spa. One of Milk and Honey's best-selling products is the natural deodorant, which is loved by Zoe Kravitz and was featured in her Vogue's Beauty Secrets video. I've been using the baking soda free version exclusively for over two, three years. This gentle aluminum free baking soda free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. It never gave me any itchy red bumps when I switched over and passed the smell test, even after an intense workout. It truly is the best and comes in two scents, lavender tea tree and lemon vanilla. In addition to clean deodorant, their online boutique also offers clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, Super Goop, and more. Some favorite products of mine other than the deodorant include Milk and Honey's Gel Cleanser, Super Goop Glow Screen, and SPF 40, which I now buy on their site, and Osea's Body Oil and Vegas Nerve Oil, which activates the body's relaxation response and helps regulate stress. Their spas are also lovely, and we are both big fans of their spa treatments. And we now offer discounts at both the online boutique and spa locations on all spa and med spa treatments. We are also thrilled to partner with Milk and Honey to offer a courageous wellness spa package called the Courageous Wellness Retreat at a discounted rate. The Courageous Wellness Retreat combines a 60-minute Milk and Honey Signature Massage, which is a Swedish massage tailored to your needs, focusing on relaxation and stress relief combined with body brushing, an exfoliating and detoxifying treatment that uses a natural bristle brush that you get to take home to stimulate your lymph and circulation while also reviving dull skin. 
Courageous Wellness listeners can enjoy 20% off your next order at milkandhoney.com and 20% off your first spa service at any Milk and Honey location with code CW podcast. Visit milkandhoneyspa.com to find a location near you. And if you want to try the Courageous Wellness Spa package offered at a special rate, use the code Courageous Wellness Retreat to redeem. This is not able to be combined with any other discount or promotion. You can also find all the information in our show notes. And then this concept, right? Like as we talk about all of this to like, you know, and I, I always go back to this in a lot of our conversations, you know, about the other side of food freedom or diet culture and all of this. And I think, you know, even just with my background of, you know, when I was growing up, we, we didn't have any money and my mom was working two jobs and we were living on dollar menu McDonald's. And it's like the, and in such a, people need to feed their kids too, right? Like people need to feed their children. People need to feed themselves. And obviously being fed is more important than being hungry, however that gets done. And so again, I think it's just, as we have these conversations, um, realizing, right, like it's going to take time and not to demonize again, like with language, like if a mom needs to go to McDonald's and get their, like get, you know, for $5 feed their family, not to demonize that, right? Like we're not helping people like shame is such a, um, yeah, like just ridding the shame from our language and our culture yeah, and our society. Navigating the food game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the game has been rigged already. <laughs> exactly. Know, yeah. So, you know, I just, yeah, just thank oh. you. Like, I'm just like, you know, my, my, my mind is going and I'm just like, how do we not have a food bill of rights? Like, how is this not in existence already? And I was just going to ask too. It's like, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's been woven into everything we've talked about, but what do you think are some of the most important things that should be, or that you'd want to see in a food bill of rights? Like what should be fundamental if it's not obvious to everybody, but just, well, so I'm we glad can... you brought that up because yes. <laughs> we gave a few suggestions. Right. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I'm happy to share, you know, what, what, and, and it, and it's really, this is the first time, you know, really, uh, you know, being able to hear your opinion on what you think. So one article one, we uh, note, uh, we have the right to transform a culture of food that values our planet and our health. Can we all agree upon that? Article two, we have the right to access safe cultural and nourishing foods because to the point of to feed, I think of thrive of surviving to nourish. I think of thriving Um, article three, Uh, we have the right to grow food for our health and livelihood in harmony with the planet. And so that's the whole access to land part, that it's not just access to go to the grocery store or the farmer's market. Land still should be a thing that's not simply commercially developed um, with housing and corporations, but also arable land that still comes from the earth. So Article four, we have the right to create restorative solutions to our food systems as part of our democratic rights. So that speaks to this idea. If I want to set up a food policy council, if I want to create legislation, I should be able to do that. Article five, this idea, we have the right to reclaim and reproduce our food traditions and history. And so that's about the whole erasure of indigenous knowledge about being able to address that. In article six, we have the right to resist narratives that limit our food freedom. So thinking about the demonization that we talk about, the weaponizing of of foods, um, being able to understand that and what platforms like this is speaking to that resistance. And Article 7, we have the right to receive and give respect and dignity in food. Because a lot of times, you know, this idea to the point of what you talked about, relationship to the mom and going to McDonald's, but even if you were going to a food bank, you know, we have a situation where it's legal to give expired food. And with this Food Donation Improvement Act that, you know, even I am in support, I mean, there are some cautionary tales around even um, this idea of food donations, um, 
you know, with so many people being hungry, how do you balance the whole conversation around food waste and food insecurity while at the same time, you know, is everybody eating expired food or is it just black people? <laughs> I just want to be clear because I was an ex- I was a garden nutrition educator at Harriet Tubman and we had after school snacks and those some of the snacks were expired. And I was like, I ain't eating that. And I'm like, and the kids like, I'm like, if you were not reading, you would not know. And so I know there's a whole argument around use by sell by dates. Um, but that that whole conversation needs to get aired out a little bit more for the American public to understand like what's who's eating what and if and if the date doesn't make sense what then change the date or something because the average person will think like why i shouldn't be eating something that's past a particular date and we're not talking more about that in the food waste conversation and how it connects to food insecurity when we don't want to just throw away food yeah that's actually really good to know um and it was making me think of going back to when we were having a conversation locally, you know, with, uh, the West side food bank, one of the things that I think is really impressive about what they do is that they actually have their own set of commitments to things, almost like their own bill of rights Mm -hmm. to, um, what they accept and the percentage of fresh food. They can only take a very small percentage. I think it's like 90 something percent of the food that they receive. And then dole out to the local, I think they, they serve as 70 agencies locally, but, um, has to be fresh food and, um, only a very small percentage can be packaged food. So I'm actually even curious, like of that packaged food, what, and they, and they work on a much like a bigger scale rather than like individual donations, but it's just interesting. It's like, if we don't hold those regulations for ourselves or like hold ourselves accountable to that, then it's like, who is doing it, right? They don't right. exist. So um, yeah, that's just something that's like really it's good to know and good to be aware of because I wouldn't have known that otherwise. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing Ooh. those with us. <laughs> I know. Thank you for sharing. Oh, I'm so, I feel like we could talk to you for another hour and man, I also want to have a conversation one day. Maybe we could do a part two about the importance of agriculture. Um, actually we're diving into that with some future guests too, and regenerative agriculture and the connection even to, like you said, the health of the planet and how intricately linked that is to our food system as well. So we really appreciate you being here today. And, um, I guess it's, it's like almost that time to wrap up. So I, I will start with our wrap up questions, which we ask all of our guests. And the first one is, um, what does your personal daily self-care look like? You do a whole lot. You've initiated a lot. You're also a mom. Um, how do you, how do you take care of yourself on a day-to-day basis? And do you have any non-negotiables for yourself? Yeah, I would say the pandemic only helped to solidify the self-care game. Um, there are some definitely baked in rituals here. Um, one, the altar, my ancestors, my, my grandmother and those before her, um, others, um, I keep an essential oil, uh, diffuser, you know, drop my oils in. And then the other part is, um, I don't just take baths. I do a home-based spa experience. Um, and so that's, you know, I have my lavender goat milk. I have my, um, Epsom salts and foaming bath. And it's, it's a whole it's a whole thing. And, you know, the lights, the, I do candlelight. I don't do the blaring bathroom light. Cause, um, the lighting matters. Michael Jackson understood the assignment. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that so much. Thank you. The next question we ask is what does being courageous mean to you? Courageous means being um, willing and open to speak from the heart authentically, intentionally, um, that changes not only you, but the world. Thank you. And I know that you already offered the book title. I think it was Food Shaming in America that's coming out. Eating While Black, Food Shaming. Eating While Black, Food Shaming in America. But do you have any um, any other books that's just meant something to you personally, it can be anything from what we are talking about to a novel or a podcast that you enjoy, just a piece of content that's been inspiring. 
Um, yes, actually, let me. Um, okay. Can't find it right now, but um, nope, it was right in front of me. Um, Vibrate Higher Daily uh, by Lala Delia. Um, that book is freaking awesome. Um, the way in which she brings and pulls words together um, is just awesome. She has an online community as well. She has awesome quotes on Twitter um, and Instagram. So I would say we should all be vibrating higher daily. Thank you so much. And if anybody wants to, um, follow you, find you, uh, support Wanda, get involved or just, um, yeah, understand more of the work that you're doing, where can they do that? Yeah, they should definitely sign up to our list at, uh, I am Wanda.org. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Um, and we are encouraging people to support our Food Shiro Freedom Fund um, and join um, companies like Whole30 that have donated to the cause where we are establishing endowments at universities to really help build that pipeline of food uh, Shiro's. And that means those who are majoring in agriculture, nutrition, dietetics. We're trying to create scholarships. We've already did our first one at Oklahoma State University. Um, and so we want to do that at an HBCU um, this year. So that link is iamwanda.org slash fund, and you can help fund food freedom. Great. Thank you so much again, Tamara. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.